0: Up to $100. Just visit slash Play100 and use code Play100. That's code Play100 at slash Play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Q's podcast covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today
1: on the Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking to a Syracuse football player turned tech CEO and about a new alliance between three power conferences. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and it's our great pleasure to be joined on the program today by former Syracuse football player Brandon Carr. Brandon, really appreciate you being here today. How are you? Wes, it's
2: good to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Brandon, I want to get you started on this one. You're the CEO of Terzo Technologies. Tell us about your company.
2: Thanks, Wes. So Terzo is a enterprise software platform for vendor relationship management. And to the common person, that probably doesn't mean much, Wes, but essentially we (laughs) are a Salesforce-like platform for buyers, right? Where companies can centralize all of their vendor contracts, their vendor spend, and all of their vendor data in one cloud platform and make smarter decisions, build stronger relationships and optimize performance with those vendors in their ecosystem.
1: An enterprise software platform for vendor management. That's a very specific niche. How did you position yourself in this field?
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is it is a niche. It's a very big niche. Um, but you know, when I left Syracuse West, I went right to Oracle, got myself into the enterprise software world in 2010 and had a great opportunity to learn at Oracle. And then I went on to IBM uh, 2013 and then ended up at Microsoft before I went on to start Terzo. And really I discovered this opportunity and this problem working with my clients uh, throughout the last decade. right? And I really noticed the problem at first at IBM about how difficult it was to manage the relationship with IBM because of how, Uh, how many solutions they offer, and how broad uh, the portfolio of software and services was. And then when I went to Microsoft, I heard the problem loud and clear from my customers about the need for a vendor relationship management platform. And that's how I found myself in this niche and working with very, you know, big customers, Fortune 500s primarily. They brought this pain forward, and my co-founders and I had a great opportunity to build a solution in this field. It's a $4 trillion-a-year spend just enterprise IT, and that's really where we're focused
1: um, right now. You've been really successful so far at Turzo. You've raised over $3 million for the project. What's the process behind raising funds and building the company from the ground up?
2: Absolutely. So to, to step back a little bit, we actually bootstrapped the company, the founders, my two co-founders and I, Al, who went to Syracuse, and Pradeep, who's our third co-founder, head of engineering. We put our own capital to get the product built and to hire engineers in-house, and that was very stressful, of course, but we, uh, we were able to build a minimum viable product, as they call an MVP, and in 2020, of course, with everything that happened last year with the pandemic, we had to um, rethink our strategy and decide if we were going to go out and raise venture capital, and in order to do so, we needed to get some customer traction. Right. And that was really the big challenge we had in 2020 was landing a big enterprise customer to prove that we could get traction in this market. And we were able to do so, even though we went through a lot of ups and downs, the roller coaster ride in 2020, like the most people, especially for the team here at Terzo, but we were able to win an enterprise customer in the FinServe vertical. And after that, Wes, we focused on going to raise venture capital. And our goal was to raise $3 million. We had a couple of great partners come in. And uh, lead the round. We also had a bunch of angel investors back us. So it was a very lengthy process. It was a very, um, I would say, difficult process from the point that this is a new category in a very hot market, but during an uncertain time from a macroeconomic perspective. So the fundraising process for most startups is brutal, but I think uh, this one was a little extra difficult because we were doing it during a pandemic and we couldn't even meet people face to face. So It was quite challenging, but I'm very happy that we were able to close the round back in May. And now our focus is putting that money to work and hiring great people.
1: You just mentioned hiring great people, and we talked about this pre-show. One thing you've done is to work with Syracuse Athletics alumni. That includes our great friend Jake Flaherty, former Syracuse linebacker who's been on this show. How important was it to you to work with Syracuse alum for this project?
2: That oh, was extremely important. In fact, you know, I, I tapped into the Syracuse alum before this project, right? So when I left Syracuse, <laughs> I had great respect for the university. had a great experience up there in both school and, and sports as well, and a lot of great friends. And when I went to Oracle, I was, you know, thinking about how I could recruit other Syracuse people. And then when I got to IBM, I had the opportunity to bring in um, a Syracuse alumni and my co-founder and dear friend, Algie Acondi. And, you know, I trust my relationships with these people because I've known these guys like Al and Jake, and I've grown up with them throughout uh, college and seen them grow in the workforce. And I love being able to bring on people that I've, you know, been close to personally and people that I have confidence in. So it was really important for me to work with people from Syracuse, even before Terzo. Right. And Al had a great career at IBM. He was phenomenal there and went on to Oracle after that. And, you know, we're back together here at Terzo. But when we were building Terzo, we wanted to leverage our network of Syracuse athletes because we love the background and the discipline and hard work and that, uh, you know, winning attitude like our friend Jake. So we really wanted to share our story with the Syracuse alum and figure out if this is something that, you know, people would want to jump on board with. And fortunately, we were able to land Jake. And then Andrew Robinson is an investor of ours who is a dear friend and a quarterback during '06 06 to 09 Time frame there. And also Rich Scanlon is an investor and advisor, and he played at Syracuse in the early 2000s, had a great run in the NFL. So we're very fortunate to have a strong Syracuse alumni uh, group here at Terzo, and we're going to continue to look for more great Syracuse graduates as well.
1: So let's talk a little Syracuse football. You played on the Syracuse football team from 2006 to 2010. That's an interesting period to say the least, a lot of ups and downs. What was it like during that time?
2: Yeah, right. There was a lot of ups and downs during that time period. And I can tell you that, um, you know, originally I was getting recruited to go to Syracuse when when Jake was already there. I actually got to spend time with Jake when I was in high school, right? I actually met him when I was 17 years old. So we go way back as I was recruited by Coach Pasqualoni, And, you know, long story short, there was a lot of uh a lot of changes there. Coach Robinson came in. We had a very tough couple of seasons. Uh, a lot of changes happened. And, of course, Doug Marone came in, I believe it was the 2008 or 2009 season and turned the program around. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, being on a football team there during that time was tough because we weren't winning. Right. And, uh, it, it's all about winning. It's a business at that point. And it, it was hard, right. Because there's a lot of negativity. But when coach Marone came in, I think he spiced up the program a lot, brought in some great athletes, got the program back on track. They won some bowl games and, um, I think Syracuse got back on the right track. And I can tell you that even though we didn't win when I was at Syracuse, it was still a great time to be there. I learned a ton. And I met a lot of great people that are lifelong friends. So when I look back during 06 to 2010, those are some of the highlights of my, you know, young life here. And um, I think that I learned a lot that I'm um, going to carry with me throughout my career from Syracuse and a lot of adversity and a lot of mental toughness that I use daily uh, when I'm running my business and I'm operating, you
1: know, in real life. And Brandon, we'll get you out of here on this one. You talked about Marone, Robinson, Pasqualoni; Those are three, four and five coaches ago. I wanted to get your take on the current program under Dino Bapers.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I haven't followed the program as closely as I normally would because I've been distracted out here in California, but you know, (laughs) I, I can tell you from what I've heard that, uh, Coach Favors has definitely changed things. I think I really like the idea of running lean and fast and having a high-intensity um, kind of a style, right, and, and being uh, very fast and lean on defense instead of having a, a big, strong team. I think they're more of a fast-paced, high-endurance, tire-you-out type of program, which is interesting. It's exciting. And uh, I think the program, you know – needs to really figure out where where they can succeed. And what I mean by that, Wes, is that that style is very exciting. It's very interesting. But Syracuse football has always been successful with the pound and ground game, uh, recruiting tough athletes from the Northeast, running the football, playing good defense. And, you know, in my humble opinion, I think that's what it takes for Syracuse to be competitive in the league that they're in, playing against top schools. I think you need to recruit the Northeast. I think you need to have good relationships with those high schools and uh, get great athletes who are hardworking and play together as a team and a team that can come and win eight to nine games every year, right? I mean, that's really what the program um, should be striving for. And I would like to see Syracuse getting back to bowl games every year and being in that tough program, playing tough defense, and not getting beat up physically by anybody, because that's what Syracuse was uh, remembered for. And that's what Syracuse you know, was known for, for many years as being tough. And I would love to see that program get back to that toughness.
1: Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the program again, Brandon Card, former Syracuse football player and current CEO of Turzo. Brandon, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the college football season, wishing you continued success at Turzo, And we'll speak with you soon.
2: Thank you so much for the support, Wes and go orange.
1: Really awesome and interesting stuff from Brandon on Terzo, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, the big news on Tuesday was that the ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten formally announced an alliance moving forward, noticeably leaving out the Big 12 as the SEC gets more powerful with Oklahoma and Texas joining the conference. What did you think about the announcement of this new alliance?
3: I've got to be honest with you. I, I really think this was more, you know, symbolic and a public face about these conferences being in an alliance. Because when when you really look into it, here there, there's the the big five of college football right now. And as I wrote in Orange Watch about a month ago, I think you're going to see that reduced to the big four. And as you just mentioned, the big eight was out of the alliance talk. Uh, this week with the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC. And I think that's for a reason, because I I just don't think the Big 12 is going to be around as this decade progresses. I think you're going to see a shakeout from the Big 12 teams that remain after Texas and Oklahoma went to the SEC. I think the three conferences that talked today, uh, earlier this week I should say, are going to be the benefic- beneficiaries of what happens to the demise of the Big 12. I think you're going to see teams from the Big 12 go off into the ACC, that being I wrote West Virginia along with independent Notre Dame. I see Iowa State and Kansas from the Big 12 going to the Big 10, and I see the rest of the Big 12 going to the Pac-12. And those four conferences, along, of course, with the SEC, are going to be the ones that control the main 64, 65 slots in FBS football the power 5 moving forward and especially when the college football playoff expands to 12 teams i can see a scenario where you have these big 4 the ACC Big 10 SEC and Pac 12 winners then i can see a bid going out to at least four of the five group of five conferences that's the AAC the Mountain West Conference USA the Sun Belt and the Mid American Conference And so among those conferences, and then a couple of wild cards from the Power Five, that's going to be your 12-team bracket for the college football playoffs moving forward. And let's face it, this alliance announced by the the conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 is all to do about TV revenue and putting the most attractive games together for their television partners moving forward. And we talked about it on the podcast last week. I think you're going to see a change in scheduling philosophy. I think these opening games against FCS teams are going to go by the wayside because they don't do well on television. Mentioned last week that season ticket holders don't like having to pay for them. And I'm going to suggest a scenario where, moving forward, teams in the Power Five would schedule opening games against group of five opponents and then as the Alliance talked today with those three conferences, they're going to schedule each other. So some year Syracuse will play a Big Ten team. Some year Syracuse will play a Pac-12 team. Uh, some year Syracuse will indeed play an SEC team. So that's going to be the attractive schedule moving forward. They have to decide if it's eight or nine ACC games, uh, three or four non-conference games moving forward. And don't forget, the Syracuse football schedule is pretty much set through 2025, 26, a couple games, 27. But after that, it's wide open. And I think that's going to be conducive to having this new kind of format of a schedule where Syracuse plays at the worst a group of five team, then the non-conference games are against other Power Five conferences.
1: Brad, let's talk actual football now. Some surprising news in the odds world. Syracuse is a Power Five team opening their season against Ohio, a group of five team, They're actually a one-point underdog on the road. I think that's a pretty big indictment of what people think about the Syracuse football program right now.
3: It certainly is an indictment, and I, I, I just don't think it's fair, first of all. I think the talent discrepancy between an ACC team and even the best of MAC teams is really wide. And I know you have programs like Coastal Carolina and Louisiana uh, from the Sun Belt who are ranked in preseason top 25 polls, but let's face it, an ACC team should be beating a MAC team nine out of ten times. And as betting has become ubiquitous, legalized in you know new state almost every other month, uh, and, and of course the ads we see, the ubiquitous nature of the promotion of of sports betting websites, well, they wouldn't survive if there weren't losers, right? You can't only just have winners and keep paying out money. To sustain a business like that. They have to rely on people losing their bets. And I think this uh, opening point spread for Syracuse being a a one-point underdog at Ohio kind of fits along those lines where they're certainly looking to grab betting money on both sides of that wager for both Syracuse and Ohio. And I think as as we kind of know that they set these lines uh, with those kind of thoughts in mind, that they want to kind of control how much money is bet on either side of 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 the wager. So I do think it's an indictment against the Syracuse program. And I really think it's pointing to the one in 10 finish last year, as opposed to what 2021 Syracuse football looks like. I mean, this arguably is the best roster Dino Babers has had in six years. I've said that I think it's the best young talent he's had on both sides of the ball. And there's a sprinkling of enough veteran players who came back for the extra season due to COVID in 2020, where I think peppered in with the young players, these seasoned veterans, is going to have a whole new look for for Syracuse football this year, combined with the fact that the two coordinators that were new last year had a full spring practice to implement what they were looking to do on both sides of the ball. And I really also don't think you can underestimate the hire of Mike Cavanaugh as the offensive line coach. I think that unit's going to be vastly improved, really can't get much worse than it did last season, wiped out by injuries and in players that didn't play uh, due to other factors. But I really think that this is going to be a, a, a far different Syracuse football team, the way it's going to look, the way it's going to operate on both sides of the ball. And, again, I think it's going to have strong special teams play. So it is an indictment of the Syracuse program. I don't think it's fair or accurate. And, of course, that remains to be seen, what happens on the field on September 4th.
1: And, Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. My closing
3: thoughts regard, uh, wrap around, I should say, the two, uh, last two quarterbacks for Syracuse that led the team to bowl games. That would be Ryan Nassib back in 2010-2012 and Eric Dungy in 2018 duncey released this week by the cincinnati bengals and ryan nassid played in just five career nfl games with the new york giants the point is it shows just how hard it is to be an nfl quarterback even excelling in the college level with syracuse uh, as ryan nassid did leading syracuse to two bowl games and eric duncey did certainly in a great 10 and 3 season in 2018 Really tough to make that leap from major college football to the NFL, especially at the quarterback position.
1: And Brad, my closing thoughts are on 2022 wing Kamari Lanz, who announced his decommitment from Syracuse basketball early in the week. Lanz was a top 25 recruit and the latest in a line of high-profile Syracuse recruits to decommit. That includes Darius Baisley and Dior Johnson. It's still early in the cycle. Syracuse already has commitments from Justin Taylor and Kadir Copeland. I think they'll step up their recruitment of Chris Bunch and Dominic Barlow, among others. Recruiting is a fickle game, but Syracuse is still on the hunt for several high-profile recruits, so I think it's just best to be patient and see how the class plays out in the end. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that separate but equal is terrible for education, but it's perfect for eyebrows. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.tv, and we'll see you next time.
2: This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the
0: SNY.tv audio network.